Let me read Psalm 93 and um, do so, you know, with Jesus in your mind's eye, the Lord. Let's have Jesus there in your mind's eye. Let's think of him as we read the Psalms. Remember, he said to his disciples, they're all about me, these scriptures, all of them. They're all about me. Here we go, Psalm 93. Think of Jesus. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Let's look at this psalm then in three parts. It kind of is presented to us in three parts. So we'll look at it in three parts. Part one, verse one and two there. The Lord reigns. Part two, the struggle is real. That was the waters. Did you hear that bit? The waters coming up against me. But part three, the Lord is mighty. And we'll think about his statutes and his holiness as well. So part one, the Lord reigns. That's what it says. Verse one, the psalm starts up front. The Lord. And the Lord, he reigns. And in that sense, like before anything else, you know, before we start talking about the waters, before we start talking about the struggles, straight up, the psalmist is putting out there for us, front and centre, the Lord. In fact, we do it at the beginning of our services as well. We start this service, don't we, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say, the Lord be with you. We start the service as the psalm starts, as in fact the Bible really the Bible gives us, first and foremost, the Lord. I, um, I sort of grew up, maybe you grew up with the impression that the Bible is a book of uh, stuff to do, rules to do, rules and wrath, right? I've got to keep rules to avoid the wrath. Maybe you grew up with, the, you know, thinking that the Bible was a bit like that. And the Bible does, of course, contain commands, it does. But it's not first and foremost a book of rules of how to live your life. In Sunday school, you might have got stories about heroes and villains. You know, David, good, be like David. Goliath, bad, don't be like Goliath. And it does, of course, the Bible's full of people. Full of people who do great things and full of very, very human people who do horrible things. But it's not first and foremost about people. It's about the Lord. And it's so confident and upfront about the Lord. So it... it it flips a switch. <clears throat> Let me try and explain this. I think in general, a general mindset when we think about God, when we think about who the Lord is, <clears throat> the mindset might be quite commonly like this. 
I, I know the world around me. I kind of understand people. I kind of get it. I kind of know what people are going to be like. I know the world. And worldly-wise, I get the world. But talk about God, well, that's utterly mysterious. Like, I have no idea what we're talking about now. So you can just imagine sort of a conversation in a pub. We can talk about football. We can talk about the world. We can talk about politics. We can talk about people. Talk about God. You're like, uh, I don't really know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows who the real God is? Who knows anything about that? It's quite typical, I suppose. But the Bible really switches that up. This psalm is a good example. And the psalm goes, here is the Lord. Actually uses the personal name. You can see the capitals on the text on the screen there. The personal name of the knowable Lord. Here he is. He reigns, firm and secure. He reigns. You can know the Lord and you can know he reigns. And in a world of threatening waters, you know, the world actually is the uncertain thing, right? Like what's presented to us in people and our surroundings, that's like, oh gosh, that is a mystery sometimes, right? That can be deeply mysterious. Why do we behave like this? Or why is the world this way? That is a mysterious thing. But the Bible's like, no, the one thing you really can be dependent on the one thing you can be sure about is the Lord. The Lord and his ways are the firm and stable thing. The world and everything in it, that's the unpredictable thing. Unknowable and un like a perplexing place, the world, the human heart. Who understands that? The Bible even says that. But the Lord, he reigns. And it's repeated through the Psalms. We're doing the 90s. We've called this sermon series Hits in the 90s. Um, and um, this idea of the Lord's reign is repeated right through these Psalms. So we've had 93 verse 1. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. Here's 96. 96 Psalm 96 verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. All of them. From Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. That is the first and last nation Listed in alphabetical order. I had to Google that. All of the nations. The Lord reigns over them all. 97 verse 1. This is Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Not confused. Not unsure what's going on. Who is the Lord? Glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. This is good news. Psalm 99, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. So if you're a nation and a people that have set yourself up against this Lord and his reign, tremble. That's no trivial thing. So do you see? And in fact, in this Psalm, Psalm 93, the one we're looking at today, you're presented, we're presented with a picture of the Lord as a, not just a king, but like a warrior king. So it says, um, the Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength, or more literally like girded, belted. He has a belt of strength. He's ready to go, armed like a warrior. 
Now, how does that make you feel? Thinking of the Lord as a warrior. Um, can be a little discomforting, maybe. But I think so, possibly, and I put myself in this category, possibly we find that hardest if we've never really been on the receiving end of terrible injustice. And I, I kind of fess up here. I don't think I really have been. And I think typically, if you haven't, then the idea of God fighting for you as a warrior might be a bit unusual. There's a great story. Amy Orr-Ewing, who's a, a female theologian and a great teacher, and she's written a great book called Where is God in the Suffering? She tells the story of uh, her experience of a memorial service straight after Grenfell. So I can't believe it now. Grenfell's like me, well, five years ago now. But she tells this amazing story where, well, just from a recap, Grenfell, we know about Grenfell, right? It was the, it's the high-rise tower block full of low-income households in the middle of a relatively wealthy London borough. So we're in North Kensington, just out in West London. There it is. And this, this high-rise apartment block was clad with insufficient cladding. Part of the reason for that was it needed to look nicer for the wealthy surroundings. For those around in the very nice and wealthy apartments, they didn't want to look out on such an unsightly thing. So let's get some cladding on this thing. Turns out this cladding was an accelerant for a fire that started in a fridge and killed 72 people. Tragic. Now, the Sunday after Grenfell burned, so 17th of June 2017, a thousand people in the street got together with Amy or Ewing and her husband for a Christian act of mourning and worship. And it was so interesting to hear her tell the story. Uh, Psalm 147, actually, not Psalm 93, but she read, uh, well, not her, but someone else read Psalm 147. And that starts, verse 3, the Lord sustains the humble, um, the Lord heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. But at verse 6, as the reader carried on, verse 6, it says this, um, but... Though the Lord sustains the humble, he casts the wicked to the ground. And the reader carried on into verse 7 and verse 8 there. But actually at that moment, at that moment, the whole crowd just erupted in applause. For verse 6. Not for the bit where they say, oh, you know, the Lord is close and near and healing up the brokenhearted. But for the moment when it was said, the Lord will cast the wicked to the ground. See what's see what the feeling is there? Yes, Grenfell was a tragic accident. I mean it was a fire started in a fridge. But everyone was saying, no, 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 no. It's more than that. This is a symbol of terrible injustice. It was the poor who died. This is a symbol of inequality and disadvantage. But, thanks be to the Lord, he is girded. He is armed with strength. He will deal with evil. He'll deal with oppression. He'll deal with injustice. And where he finds it, he will cast it out. And everyone just like, yes. The Lord is a warrior king. 
to know God who reigns as one who is ready to go, swift to bring justice, mighty, armed and robed in majesty. He's established the world, verse 1. He's established his throne from eternity, verse 2. He will establish justice. He'll do it. And for those who are feeling that oppression, who feel that sort of relentless inequality or disadvantage, it's like, finally, the Lord will come and fight for me. Great news. Now, having said the Lord reigns, the psalmist then goes, verse 3, this is the next part, the struggle is real. Let me read the verses again. The seas, the psalmist says, the seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. All right? So first picture is the Lord is the warrior king. Second picture is the seas. Proud seas. Right? Can you see the words there? They've kind of lifted up. It's kind of, it's the language of pride. Haughty, you know? Snooty seas, puffing out their chest, threatening, pounding waves is the idea. Now I love the sea. <laughs> you guys love the sea. We all love the sea. We all live by the sea. Lorraine loves the sea. There's Lorraine. We all love the sea. We go on holiday by the sea. You know, we go and seek out holidays in beautiful sea, you know, seaside resorts. But you don't mess with the sea. Yeah? I remember just as a kid, like parent, all the time, swim between the flags, you stay, you stay in your depth, right? They said that over and over again. Swim between the flags, you stay in your depth. And they would just scare me. I'm pretty sure my family, my brother particularly, would scare me with all kinds of stories about rip tides and rip currents and something will drag you under and something will crash over you and you'll be, you know, tossed and turned, all that kind of thing. You got all those warnings, didn't you? When you swam in the sea, you're like, don't miss with the seas, because we are very small. I am very small. The sea is extraordinarily powerful and big. And the waters and the seas in the Bible are always a metaphor, isn't it? Nearly always, actually, a metaphor for something that's very worrisome, bad, threatening, and unruly. So remember Genesis 1, the story of creation. The Lord's like, I need to separate out the waters to create atmosphere. Like some order. I need to separate out the waters to make dry ground, like predictable ground. That's good, the Lord says, like solid terra firma. That's good. Once we've separated out these kind of encroaching seas, that's the idea. It comes up in several different places. Job is another great one. Job chapter 38, for taking notes, where the Lord's like asking Job, who's got control of the seas? Who's kind of hemming them in? Who's stopping them going any further? Who does that? No one else can do that but the Lord. Stopping their proud, their sort of proud waves, it says in Job 38. And then that's why, that's why if you've ever read the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, right at the very end of the Bible, you know, John's selling us this vision of a new heavens and a new earth. He's going, it's going to be great. The old heavens and the old earth have passed away and there no longer will be any sea, Right? And I take it that John's kind of using the same idea there. It's not that we're not going to have beaches and water and lovely things in the new creation. I'm sure we will. But it's that idea of chaos, a proud opposition, 
evil, wanting to swallow you up, wanting to take you out, will be no more in God's new heaven and new earth. Such a great picture, isn't it? it? The sea is a powerful image. It's a powerful metaphor, isn't it? Because it's just so vast. So it, it just interests me that 3,000 years since this psalm was written, right, roughly, maybe 3,000 years since Psalm 93 was first written, we haven't really got any further, despite all of our technological advancements, despite all the things we can do now in the internet and all that. We haven't done anything other than just kind of put little concrete patterns around, you know, the sea. <laughs> we can make a concrete pattern around our countries and things like that, just to kind of put a nice frame around our countries. We're not stopping any seas, really. We're just putting a little border around it. We're not really controlling the waves and the tides. No chance could assemble an army of a million soldiers. Not going to stop a wave. So in that sense, the psalmist is going, Lord, and you might be feeling this, Lord, I feel the threat of something which is completely, completely, completely out of my control. And it doesn't matter how many people I get involved It's beyond human intervention. There's nothing that's going to come up against this. It's the picture, isn't it? There's nothing humanly possible in this situation I'm facing here because the seas have lifted up their voice. You know? I know, I know that this might be a season for you where you're like, actually, I really feel those seas. I'm really experiencing that now. And I love it, actually, that this psalm doesn't list out. You know, this psalm doesn't tell us what those seas are. Often in the psalms, it's usually like there's an army coming down from the north or there's an army coming up from the south and it's kind of a, a metaphor for actually Israel's coming under attack. There isn't anything about that here in Psalm 93, which I... I massively appreciate it's left to the mind of the worshipper it's left there as an image for us as worshipers to go do you know what this thing like this thing in my life is unbearable utterly unbearable i cannot overcome it and it doesn't matter how hard i try and how many people i get involved i am confounded the seas have lifted up their voice. But, verse 4, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Now, you might want someone just to pray that with you, over you, for you. We're going to have communion in a moment. You can come up the front here. You can take bread, take wine. You can come out to the side here. And maybe you just, maybe you just need to hear someone stand by you and pray those words over you and just say, put a hand on your shoulder and say, look, mightier, mightier than the thunder of the great waters is the Lord Almighty mightier than the breakers of the sea. If you want someone to pray that with you, that is absolutely fine. Just filter off. 
And that is the, the way this psalm ends, but for verse 5, where it goes, it's slightly unusual. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Statutes, holiness, we've been thinking about. You know, it's kind of gear change. What's going on? First, it seems quite unusual, but here we are. It's almost saying, this last section is saying, look, your promises, statutes, you could replace that with promises, decrees, like the things you have promised, stand firm, and you are holy. Where you live, your house, your dwelling place is holy, different. You know, the, the root word in the Hebrew for holiness is cut. It's cut apart. It's set aside. So where is the world and people and context that we might be moving in right now is unpredictable and unknowable. And I don't know what's going to come at me next. The Lord is holy, set apart, altogether different dependable, righteous, good. You think of the way these promises, you think even as they're fulfilled in Jesus, you know, the Lord's like, I'm coming. And here he comes, the Lord Jesus arrives on the scene a thousand years after this psalm was written to deliver God's people to set them free from their sins, fulfilling this promise, I will deliver you, I'll bring you home, I'll beat all your foes, I'll crush them to the ground and release you into a life of freedom and fullness. The Lord is holy, altogether other, and altogether righteous and his promises will stand firm which means which means and i i quite like this just one last picture i'll give you just before we finish here is though what you feel like in the midst of suffering and difficulty and pain and hardship i don't know whether that's your experience now or whether it will be in the future it's coming to us all at some stage or another in the middle of suffering and pain there are a lot of questions why, Lord, why this? Why now? Why have you taken away that? Why am I feeling this? Why here? And why now of all times? There are so many questions we might ask when we're in the middle of it. But these ideas, like God's holiness and God's righteous decrees, his promises are like a border a framework around which all these questions can fit. So think of a puzzle. So this is the image, right? So when you do a puzzle, you do, when I was taught to do a puzzle, you do the corners, right? You stick the corners in, and then you get the side pieces in, like that. And that's the easy bit, generally. Like you got, imagine a thousand piece puzzle. You get the corners in, you get the sides in. Okay, done the frame. Now at that stage, there's like 900 you know, puzzle pieces over here. And I don't know where they go, you know? But I know they go in there somewhere, right? I know that all these puzzle pieces are going to fit in here, right? And it's going to make a beautiful picture. Once it's finished, right, all those pieces will produce something beautiful. All I've got right now is a frame. But I know those, I know those pieces fit. 
all we've got, like we, you think about it, our frame here is the Lord is with us. He is holy. His promises are sure. He hasn't let us down. He won't do it again. He is righteous. There's the frame. Now, I don't know. I have a lot of questions. I may not get answers to the specific questions of why this, why now, why me, why here. But what I can know is that they will fit. They'll go in. They'll fit in that frame. And in the end, God's making a beautiful picture, right? But the waters are real. The psalmist acknowledged that. The waters are lifting up their voice and their pounding waves the struggle is real the waters are threatening but the Lord reigns and he is mightier than the waters let's pray let's pray together Lord, every psalm, every psalm in the scripture is given for us for something. You think you did not want your Bible to be without Psalm 93. And we thank you, Lord God, for this psalm as it helps us and encourages us to stand firm on you, your promises, your righteousness, your holiness. Lord, as we sing now and come to your table now and receive of the Lord Jesus together, body and blood given for us, may we know the truth of these things. You reign. You're righteous. And your promises will stand forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.